Welcome. I'm Andrew Brady, the host of the Evolution of Business podcast, and I'm excited to be here with Michelle Little. Michelle is an award-winning salesperson, the 2017 Woman of Excellence Award recipient, and a trained culinary chef, using her skills and abilities to help others by creating the perfect granola. Her company is the 2018 Women-Owned Business of the Year and the 2018 NAPPA Award winner for Best in Family Products, so I'm sure we'll learn a little bit more about that. But the Perfect Granola was created on the foundation of giving back and exploded into the market in June of 2016, gaining accounts with retailers including Wegmans, Tops, ShopRite, Price Chopper, and hundreds of others, and there's an exciting one that we'll hear about soon as as well. Uh, in, In less than two years, the Perfect Granola Granola has become a fast-growing granola and granola bar company and prides itself on creating positive social change. So right up our alley, uh, talking about conscious capitalism. The Perfect Granola is unique in that it shares its profits with homeless shelters, outreach centers, and food banks. And in 2017 alone, the Perfect Granola donated over 12,000 pounds of granola and granola bars to support 23-county region in upstate New York. In addition, the Perfect Granola hires students through a partnership with Hillside Work Scholarship Connection to give them real experience before graduation so that they can break the poverty cycle that fuels our hunger issue. Michelle Little makes every business decision in an effort to help the community and create a better world through food and love. And that is her tagline, and I absolutely love it. So excited to have you here today, Michelle. And wow, that is, uh, that is quite a social mission for someone who is a, an entrepreneur starting out. Um, did you start your company with, with the idea of having a social purpose, or, or how did this evolve? Where did this come from? I absolutely started the company with a a want to make a world a better place. Um, So I got the idea after volunteering at our food pantry. I took a vacation day every Friday. I would go over and I would help the families select their weekly food. And I noticed that there was a sincere lack of healthy food on the shelf. It certainly wasn't allergy friendly. And I also identified with a lot of moms that came in there they didn't want to choose their food at a food pantry. They'd rather have a job and go grocery shopping like the rest of us. So I decided to just take what I knew of business and working in the business world for nine and a half years and my culinary skills and put it together and created a workforce in a, in a company where I can hire people that were walking into food pantries, hire students that were already living in poverty and show them a way out of that. Wow. So I think... Read just uh, just the other day on your website preparing for this. That is it true that you started put putting things in plastic bags in your kitchen, and and that's how this this company started. Tell us a little bit about that that very first kind of origin of the perfect granola. Were you selling to fellow fellow moms, or or how did you how did you start to do this? Were you giving it away, getting getting test test ideas on recipes? Yeah, so I did start the company out of my kitchen. I got our home kitchen certified, and I would start to just sell to friends and family just to see if they would buy it and if they liked my recipes. And once people actually started to enjoy our products, and my kids helped me develop the recipes to make sure that they tasted good for everybody and not just our family, um, then I started renting the kitchen at the Ontario ARC. So I would peddle that product to different retailers around the area and signed up to be a vendor at the Victor Farm Market. And then I would take a vacation day and go over to the Ontario ARC, cook as much as I could, hand seal the packets, put sticker labels on it, and then sell it out of the back of my husband's pickup at the farmer's market. Um, And that was really to test and to see if people now outside of my circle would actually come in and buy a granola that somebody else made. 
Yeah, I forget about that sometimes. Uh, actually, the first time I met you, this was still just a side hustle. You still had a, had another job. So, what were you doing? What were you doing before this? I was a business development manager for an electric motor shop in Erie, Pennsylvania. I've sold industrial electric motors for the past nine and a half years. Wow. And so nothing to do with food. Yeah, other than sometimes interesting. I would sell the motors into a food plant. So, uh, when was it that you that you had the, the the culinary degree, and what what made you kind of shift away from that? I started in psychology, but then decided to switch my major to culinary. I was bartending at the time, and um, it was really just my love of food. When I was a bartender, I would actually host Misfit Holidays, and um, at the local bar that I worked at, it was just a pub, a neighborhood pub that all the locals went to, and a lot of times they didn't have a place to go to for Thanksgiving or Christmas, so I would test my culinary skills on them, and I would invite everybody to my apartment and just cook a big meal together and see if people liked my cooking and my food. And, but it also was able to share a sense of community for our neighborhood. So creating a better world through food and love before the, before the perfect granola exactly. even existed, right? <laughs> yep. Beautiful. So was, was while you were selling uh, industrial equipment, <laughs> um, was, was culinary kind of always calling your name or did you think you'd ever be an entrepreneur or, or were you enjoying things where you were at the time? What... What started to create that sense of maybe dissatisfaction or wanting something more or something different? I had a, a pretty successful career. After doing it for nine and a half years, I got my start with a Rochester company and then worked for a company in Mississippi for four years and then ultimately moved over to Erie, Pennsylvania to work for a, another company. And I had achieved everything in my professional career that I had sought out to achieve. I was a, a business development manager in my last position. Before that, I was a manager for a nine-state territory, took care of all the exporting. Um, so really, I felt, I felt like I had reached the, the peak of my professional career and I, I wasn't happy. I didn't feel fulfilled at the end of the day. I felt like I was just spinning my wheels and going to work and it really wasn't enjoyable for me. And after the birth of my second daughter, I thought, you know, I, I've kind of reached everything that I can in this career. It's really time to put down my roots into something else, create something that's meaningful and something that I'm passionate about. And luckily I had that experience, nine and a half years of being on my own and traveling on my own and developing a company essentially for someone else gave me the business savviness and the sales experience that I needed. Um, so I, I felt like it was all kind of leading up to this. And now as a mom of two, I can show my daughters, you know, really what's capable of, of one person. Absolutely. So, so how long was it that this was that the perfect granola was was this side hustle before you decided to to go all in? The first year and a half, I still worked full time. It was a very stressful time. I worked a full time job. I had a part time job, and my daughters were one and five. So, wow. um, I was a busy mom. But um, you know, luckily, last March, I was able to walk away from my full time job and and work full time in the perfect granola and really start to to grow that the way that it needs to be. So was there was there a revenue goal that you had in mind or did it just become too much trying to trying to organize things and you just had to had to make the jump or what what it kind of finally gave you the courage much. to do it? Yeah, it was just too much. I mean, working in 8 to 5 and and traveling with that and then I I was a cycling instructor in the evenings and then trying to work on the perfect granola at night after the kids went to bed. It mm. just got to the point where I just couldn't do it anymore and I was running out of vacation time real quick for my full-time job to to start, you know, going to sales meetings. And, and to grow the company. 
so you talked a, a little bit about starting these uh, these different recipes that you had, do it kind of doing it out of your kitchen, mm-hmm. and starting to sell, kind of growing in a um, in a very measured kind of a way, trying to trying to figure things out. I'm trying to get an idea as as you're growing. At what point did you did you start this always with the intention of of doing it full time, or at what point did it not just seem like this was going to be a, a maybe a side business or a, or a, a, a passion project? I always knew it was going to be a full time job. I have a crazy four phase plan in my head. <laughs> um, right now, I'm completing phase one and two. Okay. So there's a lot more in the future for the perfect granola and where this company is going and the potential that it has. Um, so I always knew that this was going to be my full-time job moving forward with it. I don't know if the rest around me were so convinced because <laughs> um, obviously food is an extremely saturated market. Granola, one of the most saturated markets. Um, so, you know, when I had told my friends and family I was going to start a granola company and change the world with it, um, I, I had support, but but maybe a little bit of apprehension as yeah. well. Um, so, you know, I, I knew that this was always going to be the direction that it's going. Yeah. I, a crowded market for sure. Mm-hmm. And up against some giants in, in the food industry that, you know, are paying, paying big money just to get on the shelves and all their marketing and everything. So what is it that you think sets yourself apart? Is it, is it part of this, this purpose that you've infused into your business? Uh, what, what sorts of things have allowed you, uh, to, to break into the market? I think it's a 50-50 split between our mission and then the health and the tastiness of our product. A lot of health food products that are out there today that are gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free, no refined sugars, no corn syrups, no cholesterol, no sodium, typically they don't taste that great. Yeah. So we've got a leg up on that. Um, you had mentioned we're the Napa Award for Best in Family Products. We won the National Parent Product Association Award. That's what that means um, for not just Best in Family Products, but Best Product in America for 2018. Incredible. Um, and that's because it was taste tested by thousands of kids across the nation. We were voted Best Taste, and then they actually third-party test your product to make sure that your non-GMO ingredients are all traceable to non-GMO sources, that you're using safe practices, that... Your packaging is sustainable and recyclable. Um, so, you know, that that is a huge award to win, especially as a food company, to be named best in family products along books and the child games and toys and, and all the other child products as well. Wow. Yeah, I, I remember reading about that, but I didn't, I, I guess I assumed that it was based on a food product. So it's pr- pretty incredible yeah. among that, among that competition, so to speak. So as, as you're growing uh, the perfect granola from from the kitchen, uh, when do you start infusing some of these some of these principles of giving back and, and social purpose? I know it sounds like sounds like you had a grand vision, uh, but the the elements of donating certain amounts of your product. How did you decide how you were going to give back and how are you going to bring that social mission to the perfect granola? It was from day one. As soon as we had our nutritional panels done, actually the first batches that I made went directly to the food pantry. Um, that was always our mission, always our number one goal, and the reason why I started this company. So it, it started right from the beginning, well before we were profitable. Wow, and and I think that always takes uh, that takes some courage, right? I, I work with folks that are trying to start businesses, and when they are growing, they tend to think, "Oh, I'm going to work on being profitable," and then somewhere down the line, I, I might start to integrate this social mission. It's kind of like a nice to have. Um, how, how do you balance the, the profitability with the, with the purpose? 
It's very difficult, um, especially, you know, talking to different mentors and advisors and business people along the way. Um, a lot of times people do want you to take the, the easier route maybe sometimes and focus on profitability because obviously if your company is not profitable and you're not growing, you're not able to sustain yourselves. Sure. So, you know, that's always been extremely important as well. But I am, I'm also not afraid to make things a little bit more difficult <laughs> if that means that I'm helping somebody else along the way. So that way, you know, that, that's the reason why every decision that we make, it has to be twofold. It has to be good for the company so we can sustain ourselves because obviously if we go south and the company doesn't succeed, then we're not able to help people. But every decision also has to have some sort of social mission involved as well. Yeah, they talk in conscious capitalism a lot about it's it's easy to come up with trade-offs and compromises. It, it takes real creativity to find the win-win-wins that you know exactly. that can satisfy the the purpose and the profit motives. Mm-hmm. So as you're growing and and hearing from some of these mentors, I think that that's one of the purposes of this of this podcast is to share more stories of the conscious leaders uh, around town and around the world that are that are doing this. Because sometimes you do get I won't call it bad advice, but just different advice of of you know focusing purely on on the profits. And so, where did you find some of the some of the mentors that encourage you to move in this in this direction? I've just reached out to other business owners that lead through example. So one of the gentlemen that I reach out to every once in a while is Kip Palmer because he's doing it right. You know, his his company is succeeding and growing year over year. His employees are extremely happy and he is extremely spiritual and mission driven as well. And everything that he does has a, a, a conscious thought to it and, you know, really wanting to move forward the whole Rochester community with his company. Um, so he's somebody that I seek out to for advice along the way. Um, Andy Germano, another one who, you know, always has his employees in mind and how he can help um, sustain the Rochester community as well through his company. Um, and then other leaders that are helping to grow companies like mine as well. Jean Case being one of them through the Entrepreneur Network. She gravitates towards and helps business leaders in any kind of um, uh, business facet at all, but also really latches on to the leaders that are leading through example and through some sort of centralized cause for their companies. Yeah, agreed. I I have heard that the name I've never met him, but but Kip Palmer comes up a lot. That that and that's a a family business, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yep. Yeah. Sometimes with with family businesses, uh, you know, folks talk about that they they can have this more long term vision of of what they want to do, and they they don't act always just in the short term. That you know, the Wall Street can kind of can kind of pull you in that direction. So. Where do you stand now? Are you at the point where where you would uh, have you taken on investors? Will you take on investors? How will you maybe ferret out which ones are the more conscious kind of long term purpose driven and, and which might be out for a quick buck? Yeah, it, it's, it's a challenge too, because as you grow, obviously you need to find funding. Um, we were lucky enough through Launch New York to be one of their portfolio companies. So they came in earlier in the year and they were able to invest in our company and actually entice a couple of angels in the area as well to come in and help us out as we grew into ShopRite stores specifically um, and, and grew into those and then the top stores as well. We updated our packaging last November and relaunched our company on Thanksgiving. Um, so that, of course, took a, a great deal of capital. Um, So we need a little bit of help from some Rochester folks here. Um, And and we reached out to people that shared in our mission. You know, it's it's not all about the dollars and what people are going to give you, but it's really who's going to support you and the mission and the whole community as a whole. 
Interesting. I, I'm thinking as well as you're, I, I've seen some of the things and it didn't even, it's hot off the press, it didn't even make it into the bio yet, but I know that you are recently down uh, in Arkansas mm-hmm. and, uh, and talking to a, a little known company called Walmart down there. So how did you get on their radar? I, I mean, that, that's just a, such an exciting story. It must be, must be pretty nerve wracking as well. It was a super exciting experience. Um, nothing short of fireworks towards the end of it. Um, but I actually got hooked up with Walmart because of my past job. So when I worked for a company named North American Electric selling industrial motors, my territory was the southeast. I had nine states down the southeast, Arkansas being one of them. So one of my old customers had called me up about eight months ago or so and said, well, you know, I, I live in Bentonville. You can't throw a stone without meeting somebody <laughs> that works at Walmart. But we heard about this open call, you know, you should reach out to them and see if they'd be interested in your company. And I thought, well, I don't know about this open call thing. I didn't know. So I got on Google and I searched it up and and applied and actually reached out to the director who runs the program, told him about my company and what we were doing. And if we had the opportunity to grow with Walmart, we'd be able to create so many more jobs. And Walmart's growth initiative is to invest $250 billion over the next 10 years into creating U.S. manufacturing jobs and to bring up the entire U.S. economy. And they can do that because of the size of their company. Sure. So when I had told them about my mission and my story and my products, they had invited me down. There were 450 companies that were invited to have their open call, which is like a mini speed dating for companies. You got a half an hour and a buyer in a room and you pitched your product. And, you know, for me, I actually got the wrong buyer. I had pitched my product and she said, I absolutely love you. I love your mission. I love your product, but I can't buy it because I just don't buy granola and granola bars in the organic snack food item aisle. So she had got me to somebody else. It, it wasn't their category either. I had gone to a third person. It wasn't his category either. And he told me one I thought last they were known person. for efficiency. Well, <laughs> I had just been speaking to the wrong people. And finally, about a half an hour before the day was over, I had learned the name of the actual guy that I needed to speak with. He was in a different building. So I hopped on a shuttle, took the shuttle over there. There were literally minutes left in the day before they were going to close their doors and got a quick in and out meeting with the buyer. He said, hey, you know, you've got a couple of minutes before your day's over. And he sat down with me. We ended up being their largest purchase of the day. We're oh my going goodness. to roll out in December in over a thousand stores nationwide. So it was quite a success story, but man, you know, I just kept thinking to myself after getting no, after no, after no, I'm like, I can't go home to Rochester and let our community down. I'm here to help our community and create jobs. And this is the right spot for me. I just need to find the right person. Wow. So in those, in those times, that's a lot, a lot of grit. Um, where, how, how do you dig deep? What gives you that kind of strength and courage? Because that's, that's a lot to be up against, you know, the, the largest, one of the largest retailers out there and, and kind of the, every, everything that, that you're up against and some of those logistical challenges as well. Yeah. Um, it, if it was for me, I think I would have given up. I spent a little bit of time that day in the bathroom crying. I don't really like to admit it, but you know, after you have spent so much time preparing your pitch and bringing product and and just the cost of going and you know, 13 Wham had covered our story and the RBJ had covered our story and I thought, "Geez, I'm going to go home and and I got nothing to show for it." So, it was definitely a disappointing day, the majority of it. Um, but you know, then I, I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, you're not doing this for you. You're doing this for your kids and your community and people living in poverty. So I got back out there and wiped the mascara off my face and, and found the right guy. Wow. 
So, so some strength coming from, coming from that purpose that you've infused, obviously, into your life, but, but into mm-hmm. your business as well. So I'm thinking now about that, that four-phase pl- four plan that you mentioned, and, and I know that at least part of the, the phase that you're getting into now is through who you're hiring and being very intentional about that. Mm-hmm. So, so tell me where that idea came from and, and, and what, uh, what you're doing with, with your hiring practices. Yeah, so the hiring piece actually came from, I knew I always wanted to hire people that were living in poverty maybe or were people in recovery or veterans or, you know, just somebody that needs a chance. Um, Hiring the students just came out of actually a, a... making a donation at Hillside Work Scholarship Connection. Um, through Jean's entrepreneur class, I had met a gentleman that sits on the board of Hillside, and he was telling me about all the wonderful things that Hillside Work Scholarship Connection does for kids that really just need help getting through school and graduating. And um, so we had made a donation to the location in Syracuse. And after walking around the campus and seeing the students and then talking with the director there and learning how the students actually go through this work scholarship so they can become hired and learn how to go through a job interview and show up on time and be responsible, I started thinking and I thought, geez, these students are just looking for a job. I've got easy jobs that they can create their own schedules, be responsible for themselves and go to work on their terms. So I thought it's just a perfect pairing to start hiring these students and and create a a more, even a deeper partnership with Hillside. Interesting. And now how long have you been doing that? We piloted the program in Syracuse in January. Uh, we're bringing it to Rochester and Buffalo this month, actually. Next week, I'll be hiring um, two students from the Rochester area and conducting interviews in Buffalo. We're during, we're kind of during an open hire session right now where I'm going through all the resumes from the students um, because it worked so well there. Um, we're definitely ready to start bringing it over to this region, too. How exciting. So how do you choose those folks? Are, are they getting kind of recommended through Hillside of, of you know, a, a candidate pool or or how do you end up choosing the people that, that you'll hire? Sure. So we actually, I go out and I canvas for the students. I give a presentation alongside some of the other employee partners that they have and students that feel like they would be a good fit for the position that we have open. They are welcome to apply and fill out one of our applications and submit a resume. And then I go through their resume and in their application and I'll go out and interview them. And those that I feel will thrive in the, in the type of environment that we have in the position that's open, those are the ones that have an opportunity. And the nice thing for the student is, like I mentioned, they build their own schedule. So if they have a test coming up or a college tour to attend, they just don't work that weekend. Um, it holds them accountable. They're putting in for the hours that they want. So then they are required to show up on time and, and to complete their work. Um, but then, you know, if they need a weekend off or, you know, a night off or something, they can also have that too. So that's one of the big challenges with with growing a company. I, and you were, you were talking about creating a better world through food and love before you even started the perfect granola, you know, at the, at the bartending and the misfit mm-hmm. holidays. And, and clearly that purpose is something that, that you embody. Uh, but as you grow and as you hire, how do you, how do you screen for or find the folks that you feel are going to be, uh, you know, adding to that, that mission and that culture? 
Well, we haven't reached that bridge quite yet. Um, I'm actually working on hiring our first time, uh, first full-time employee now. Um, but, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. You know, there's a lot of amazing candidates. The great thing with food production and the type of jobs that we have available and as we'll grow, we'll, we'll be producing more, is it's a lot of on-the-job training. So, you know, anybody's really welcome to come into our company. If they have a, a willing attitude to learn and thrive and grow with us, then we've got a position for them. Beautiful. So before we move on, I, I'd love to learn a little bit about your, your personal journey uh, towards more conscious leadership. But give us as much as you, as much as you can share of that, of that four-phase plan and kind of what does the next five to ten years look like? What, is, what does success look like for the perfect granola in the ideal world? Sure. So phase one was just create a product that we can sell. Because obviously, if you can sell something, you've got revenue coming in, you can grow a company. So a lot of people say, like, why granola? I thought, I I was just really good at making it. It really (laughs) could have been anything. Um, You know, it was just to create a perfect product. You know, a product that we could sell and create revenue with, get into some retail places and some additional selling verticals, but really then have something to drive the company and the growth and and the hireability of people. Um, So that was always phase one, is just create something, get it out into the market. Phase two is give back as much as we can as we grow. So that's where we are right now. Phase one and two is growing our company, giving back as much as we can, hiring people people. Phase three is coming out with some new products. We're moving into a new facility in Geneva in the next couple of weeks. We'll be coming out with some new perfect products um, in the granola space for now. But then as we grow, we'll be growing into some other dry food products that can also land on food pantry shelves that are super healthy and sustainable. Okay. So as you're you're growing and maybe looking at different products, you still have that uh, food pantry in mind in terms of something that's shelf stable. Is is that part that goes part of it? Yep. Yeah, everything that we produce will either be ready to eat right away or just add water product. So are you the R&D department or, or are, your, are your daughters the, the R&D department or who's, who's deciding what these new recipes are going to be? It's a combination of the three of us, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely the driving force, but, you know, if I don't have my little taste testers, I don't know, what, I don't know what's good or not. So <laughs> I love it. So I'm thinking as well as we're, as we're looking to the, the growth of the company, certainly there's obviously been some, some growth personally in terms of the conscious leadership journey that you've been on. You, you said yourself that you were in a job that you weren't especially passionate about. Um, where was the seed of, of starting to, to think about wanting to, to live in a different way or do business in a different sort of a way? Are there kind of things that you can point to or books that you read or experiences that you've had? What started to, to move you in this direction? There were two things in general. One was the birth of my second daughter. And just to work in the corporate world where you're nothing bigger than a number and to see some of my fellow colleagues lose their position just because of a numbers game. You know, if the company needed to downsize or eliminate positions, sometimes it doesn't really matter how much you're performing. It's all about your salary. And if they cut it, they'll become profitable. And I didn't want to be in a position that I relied on somebody else to pay my paycheck and determine my destiny for my family. So I wanted to create something that I would be in control of that and then something that I could pass down to my kids once they get a little bit older. Um, and number two, I know it's, it's kind of cliche to say, but I started going to church. And, you know, because I wasn't super happy in my position and what I was doing with my life, and I knew that I was capable of so much more. Um, I wandered into a church in Victor one day and identified with the pastor there. And I've been going to church ever since. But that was really what gave me... 
I guess the spiritual guidance to do it and just the confidence, you know, growing, you know, through those professional jobs that I had gave me the business confidence to do it. But then kind of finding God, I guess, um, gave me the spiritual confidence to do it. Beautiful. So how do you see, um, how, how does this start to infuse then into, into business? Obviously, you are a shining example of, of conscious capitalism, but how is this sort of evolving worldview and an example that you're trying to set? How do you see business taking on more of a, or, of a social purpose in the future? What, what are the barriers to having that become more mainstream, do you think? It's to teach other companies how I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, because sometimes it's daunting. You know, if you think about, you know, and in, in for us, we give out 5% of our profits, go back to existing organizations, and then we do our own part within our own company. But, you know, a lot of people, if they're running multi-million dollar companies that are very profitable, 5% can seem like a daunting task. Or, you know, even just hiring somebody that maybe has a criminal background, they could be scared of something like that, or hiring somebody that they then have to invest the knowledge in the, the training to get them up and going in their company. It can be a daunting task. So my whole thing is how can we give back even more is, you know, create a sustainable company using this business model but then go out and teach other companies how we did it so they can infuse that into their own companies. Because, yes, we can do it ourselves, but unless we share that knowledge with others, um, you know, we're kind of keeping it to ourselves and keeping it kind of small, you know, if we're able to share that and expand it. Um, so, you know, hopefully I'll be able to prove this business model in the way that we did things. I'm keeping very close notes on things that work, things that don't, because um, obviously we're making some mistakes along the way that are costing us some time and money. So we d- certainly won't advise people to do that. But, um, you know, showing them the way that we did succeed and then, you know, infusing that into their companies. That's exciting. Well, mm-hmm. please keep me updated. Hopefully listeners <laughs> to it would, would be interested in this, uh, this social entrepreneurship type of type of institute learning from Michelle at the perfect granola, uh, in the short term and until the institute, uh, opens its doors, hopefully I can be there for the ribbon cutting. Uh, what kind of advice do you have for other leaders who maybe are inspired by the work that you're doing, uh, might want to either start their own company or maybe they're unhappy in their role now, uh, which ways, maybe it sounds like going to church could be, it could be a good way to get some purpose in your life. Uh, what other things have, might you advise them to do to start to move along this journey? To just do something, to realize that everybody is capable of making change and making things better. Some people are a little scared of that because it it gives them the power to either succeed or to either fail. And everybody that is successful has failed. So fail fast and move on. So you're not wasting a ton of time and money, but everybody has the power to change the world. So just find what you're passionate about and go to work on it and figure it out. All right, I don't like to do this, uh, you know, on on air. But the last two questions you've you've mentioned uh, in your answer a little bit about about failures along the way, about mm-hmm. things that you've struggled with, mistakes that you've made with the perfect granola or or personally. Is there anything that that stands out to you that was an especially big wake up call or especially disappointing that that ended up? Um, I mean, maybe it worked out, maybe it didn't, but, but are there any, any failures that you can point to so that hopefully some of our people out there that are listening that, that may be struggling can, can see that and and see that there is a light at the end of the tunnel? Definitely. One of my main failures, I guess, when I was starting the company is, um, just growing too fast. 
And I think it's a problem and a, and a struggle that a lot of entrepreneurs face. Um, we had actually, Wegmans was our large, our first large account, um, really the first early adopter into our products. Um, they brought us on across all their stores before I even had a product or packaging or a co-packer. Wow. Um, yeah, they were absolutely amazing. Um, and I had the opportunity to either work with a regional distributor or a large national distributor. And my view was just starting out, bigger is better. You know, work with the big guys and they're going to be able to push our product nationwide from day one. Um, but boy, was that a failure because they don't care about a nothing startup. So really the reality came across a lot of billbacks, a lot of off invoice charges, a lot of freight charges, um, and really the salespeople not caring about us and our mission and our products. So, you know, we dialed it back. We're now working with a regional distributor and growing in a pace that we can sustain. Um, and also making sure that you can grow as fast as the purchase orders are coming in and in the the yeses are coming in, making sure that you have enough capital to fund that growth. Um, and that's another you know, issue I think that some young entrepreneurs and startups find themselves in is you know, really funding can be a problem and something that really kind of holds you back from your growth. Um, and that's something that we're still struggling with today. I have more yeses on my desk than we're able to fund, which is an exciting problem to have, but it's a problem nonetheless. And you've got to navigate around it and make sure that you're, you're selecting the stores properly that are going to thrive with your product, not saying yes to everything, um, and really being able to handle your cash flow for your company. Interesting. Yeah, just last night I was reading a story of the founder of Patagonia, uh, Yvonne Chouinard, and he talks a lot about that first time that they had to lay off employees and how much of a struggle that was, and it had been because they were just chasing growth, 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 and and now since then, having to turn down a lot of opportunities for growth and growing slower, growing in a way that's going to be more lasting and sustainable. So okay. as you see yourself growing, um, are, are there barriers to that growth, or, or is it truly that you're just trying to slow it down and make it a sustainable level of growth, or, or what's, what's keeping you um, from that phase three and four and the, these grand plans that you have for, for growth? The short answer is is really cash flow, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs and startups find that we we were able to sustain um, a, a round of funding with Launch New York, as I mentioned. Um, but you know, we've like I said, we've got more yeses than we can fund. So you know, it's really making sure that you know everything that's coming in the doors, going back out the door for growth, and we're exploring the avenues that we think we're going to thrive in. Um, so eventually we're going to be able to take those, you know, it's not a no, it's, it's a yes, but you know, we'll, we'll hold off you know, for a few months until we can really fund those stores and retailers and make sure that we're marketing it properly. So is there anything in terms of, in terms of products that you are, are thinking about at this point when you, when you get beyond granola, is there any, do you have a short list or are you at liberty to, uh, to discuss what's going on in the, in the R and D lab? Um, can't share at this point because it's stuff that's not currently being done. Okay. Um, they're, they're new innovative ideas. So we definitely want to test it out ourselves and make sure if, if consumers will like it and if they'll notice some of the ingredients that we're using that other people aren't using. Um, but I can say that they will be super healthy and clean, um, super allergy friendly, kid friendly and shelf stable. All right. Well, there's a there's a little bit of suspense, so maybe we'll have to have you on sometime later to to hear about the newest, latest uh, innovations for. Maybe I'll have you join my taste testing. There crew. you go. I'll take <laughs> I'll take you up on that for sure. So when you are looking ahead, not only to you know we talked a little bit about the the four phase plan and the future of your company, 
Um, for yourself as a, as a leader, where do you see some of the, some of the things that you're really focused on for, for your own growth as you're, as you're growing this, this company and, and trying to, in some ways, figure it out as you go, as you go right? Sure. I see myself um, really continuing to grow as a person. So then, you know, becoming a leader in the Rochester community and and in the community even beyond Rochester, um, but really becoming one of those... I don't want to call myself a, you know, a consultant, a consultant or something, but somebody that can be looked at on how to grow a company and, and how to do it from the ground up, how to get scrappy when you need to, um, starting a, a startup and especially a food company, but any startup, um, there's a lot of barriers to entry into the market. Um, a lot of issues that come up, a lot of growing pains that happen. So it's really, you know, I see myself becoming somebody that can help and mentor other companies. Um, and, and also can then infuse that social purpose and that mission into their company and, and help them grow that and, and kind of follow their passion along the way. Paying it forward, helping the next generation yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Actually, uh, I don't know if you know this, but I, I'm involved with Junior Achievement, and there was a entrepreneurial youth summit that we had a couple months ago where it was kind of a Shark Tank-style competition over the course of a school day, coming up with a business plan. And the winners received different products that were made locally by local entrepreneurs, including their story. And, and one of them was a, was a perfect granola, a little bag of, of granola, and, and a little bit about your story. And so you already are inspiring future generations of, of leaders and of, and of entrepreneurs as well, and hopefully with a, with a little bit of a, of a social entrepreneurship mission. Um, I, I see actually, uh, so Michelle and I are, are friends on Facebook. So I see some of the things that she's up to, uh, whether it's wrapping pallets in, in the middle of the night or sometimes just spending great time with her, with her daughters. And, and I, I reflect on, on myself and in my own learning from my dad about being an entrepreneur and, and wanting to follow in his footsteps. So, so do you think that, uh, do you think they've got some entrepreneurial, uh, spirit in them. How has that Definitely been? Definitely do. Yeah, especially my seven-year-old. She's going to be eight in a couple of weeks, and she tells me all the time that you know, mommy, I want to start a company, but it's not going to be granola. <laughs> so hopefully, her view will change on that. Okay. Um, if we end up handing down a granola sure. company to her, um, but you know, I I see that, and you know, she's watching me and how hard I'm working, and I know that that's inspiring her for her future. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't underestimate that by any means. I think that I think that leading by example, not only starting your own business and trying to do it in a in a more conscious, socially conscious type of a way, um, but also the, the big risks that you took to mm-hmm. to do it, yeah. and uh, and it's it's paying off so far. So it's it's exciting to watch. So somehow we are we are almost out of time. So I just wanted to before we before we uh, wrap up, other than eating granola and uh, maybe uh, following, following the perfect granola on Facebook. Um, how can folks learn more about you? How can they get involved um, other, than, other than maybe being consumers? Is there any, anything needs that you have in terms of expanding your social mission or, or things along those lines? I'm always asking for any kind of contribution that people can make, whether it's it's going to Wegmans and, and buying our product and eating it or, you know, it is following us on social media. But, you know, 
anything that we, you know, th that they can contribute or help if it's, you know, making a contact or a connection or just even getting involved in their own community in some way, you know, that, that not only just helps the community, it helps us too, because it, it gives us validation on what we're doing. If we can inspire somebody else to clean up a garden or pick up garbage off the floor, or, you know, it's a, you don't have to start your own company and, and give away everything and help people. But, you know, if, if we can inspire somebody to just do something with their time or, you know, give back in some way, you know, that's amazing. Um, but we're always looking for help. You know, like I said, we fail all the time. So <laughs> if anybody can offer help or suggestions or contacts, you know, we're always open for suggestions. All right. So other than finding you online, searching the, the perfect granola, um, remind everybody what stores they can they can find the perfect granola in. We're in Wegmans. We're in Nature's Market in the cereal aisle of all the Wegmans stores. You can purchase our granola and granola bars there. Uh, locally, we're in Tops. We're in Lori's. Um, we're in Hegedorn's out in Webster. Um, and then if you're up and down the East Coast, you can find us in ShopRite, Price Chopper. Um, pretty soon we'll be in Hannaford. Um, and then uh, Walmart starting in December. So. How exciting. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I, I think Michelle is really on a, on a rocket ship, and I'd like to think that to some extent this is due to the, the social mission and the, the conscious capitalism uh, mentality that she has in her business. And, and so I hope that as you continue to grow, your purpose continues to grow and, and hopefully starting to create, continuing to, to create jobs for folks and, and grow the perfect granola to create the better world through food and love. I think we could all use a little bit more of that, huh? Sure, definitely. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Michelle. Thank you, Andrew. This episode is brought to you by Wicked Squid Studios, Rochester, New York's premier podcast development team. The Wicked Squid family brings ideas to life through the art of audio production. From custom jingles and creative services to studio memberships and educational curriculum, their outfit strives to empower all members of society to build a more equal and colorful world. Learn more about their operation at wickedsquidstudios.com.